We got a lot to cover today, and we're going to dive straight in uh, to the word this morning. There's, there's two amazing things that happened yesterday. One, Alabama lost, and two, the Razorbacks won, okay? Um, and, and it's a good day to be in the house of God, and um, I, needed, I needed that earlier, that what we just read. Um, I want to review just very quickly where we've been in the book of Acts. If you're new with us today, um, hello, my name is Seth, and I'm glad you're here. Uh, and I, I just want to kind of recap where we've been in the book of Acts because uh, God has been moving in our church, and we believe that um, we are a part of something uh, that started many, many years ago in the book of Acts, and even before then, the early church. And so at the beginning, we talked about waiting for the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God comes at Pentecost, and, and, and we see thousands of people get saved and put faith in Jesus. And um, Peter preaches, repent and be baptized, and, and, and they devoted themselves to teaching and fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayer. A lame beggar gets healed. Uh, a guy says, I don't have silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And then uh, because of this man's healing and the way that he declares the gospel, um, God begins to move and 2,000 more people get saved and, and the number's growing. The apostle, apostles were released from prison and they returned back to the disciples and we spoke a message called Reunited and it feels so good. And, um, and we talked about prayer being our priority, not just a last resort. And uh, we gave you some promises from the word of God that God will shake your life in the best way possible when you turn to him, that God will fill you with the Holy Spirit, and that God will give you the ability to speak with great boldness. And uh, then we pick up kind of where we left off last week. We talked about Ananias and, and old sappy, okay, old, old sappy. And, and uh, the early church, this was the first great pause, and last week we spoke a message called Stop Playing Church. And... Um, I didn't really know, does, does church attendance uh, grow after that or, or shrink after that? Okay, that's up to the Lord. Um, but we talked about not going through the motions, and these two people, they lied, and they died. So just watch out, all right? They, they lied, and then they died. And here's the thing is that they were more concerned about the approval of man than the approval of God. They wanted the appearance of godliness, but they denied all of God's power. And we learn that generosity is actually viewing everything that we own as God's and that we are stewards of those things. And we, we talked about not checking the box when it comes to church, but checking our hearts, because this is what we know is true, is that if we want revival in Arkansas, and I believe that it can start right here in Northwest Arkansas. Can somebody say amen? If we want revival, then we better be okay with renewal. And renewal starts in the heart of every person here today. And renewal is a sanctifying process, becoming more like Christ and less like the world. Um, so we see this pattern in the early church that continues, and from chapter 1 all the way through chapter 5. We're going to be in chapter 5 today, so if you've got a Bible, you can open up to chapter 5 of Acts. Um, we're going to pick up in verse uh, 12 here in a second. But what we see is the apostles pursue a purpose, and they're met with problems, and then comes opposition, and after opposition continues, God provides and God prevails. All right, and this pattern repeats itself over and over. Next week, um, which was going to be this week, but some things came up. I've got a buddy that's going to come in town, and we're going to take a break from the book of Acts. And then the next week after that, we're going to talk about Stephen, who was martyred for his faith. 
Um, and then we see these people that start laying down their lives for the gospel. And, um, and today it brings us to this conclusion. And this is the title of the message today is Persecution, Purpose, and a Promise to Remember. So we're going to talk about persecution, purpose, and and a promise to remember. Today is a very simple observations from the book of Acts chapter 5, and also a few practical challenges for us as the church today. So it ends in verse 11 from last week telling us that great fear seized the whole church, and there was a reverence for the word of God in God's people. Would y'all agree that we need a reverence for the word of God in today? Like we, we need a reverence for God and a reverence for what God is speaking and doing. In verse 12, it says the apostles performed many signs and wonders, didn't skip a beat. I just was laughing when I read this. Ananias is a fear, they die. And then it's like, and then the apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people. And then all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade, and it says that no one else dared to join them. I, I found this really interesting. Circle that in your Bible or make note of it. No one else dared to join them, even though they were highly regarded, highly esteemed by the people. This is so interesting to me. No one else dared to join them. There was a reverence, even in the world, when they saw a Christian, when they saw a Christ follower. This was because in the early church, being a Christian meant something. And I'm not saying it doesn't mean anything today. I'm just saying it has lost some of its weight, and I'm going to explain that today. Being a follower of the way of Jesus in in the New Testament, it meant something. Being a follower of Jesus, there was a standard of living that was attached to that phrase. A follower of Jesus had integrity and, and work ethic and character, and they provided for their family, and they were faithful to their spouse. It, it, there was a standard of living. Question, I want to ask you this today but as we dive into the Word. Did anybody have a sibling or like a family member growing up, and when it came to playing like card games or board games, they just ditched the instructions and they kind of made up their own rules. Did you, y'all ever, some of y'all are like, that was, that was me, okay? Like, where's my rule followers at? Y'all follow the rules? Don't, don't be shy, raise your hands. Who broke all the rules? Just raise your hand. It's okay, confess and be healed. That was me. I got both hands up. Um, we would make up rules playing, I love Monopoly. Uh, I don't like Monopoly deal as much. I like the long form of the game, I know. I like, I like the strategy. We used to make up these rules, like you pass go, you collect $600. You know what I mean? This, I'm from Jacksonville, so you can get whatever you, you know. And so we, we would make up these rules in, in phase 10. You don't have to go in order of the phases. You can do whatever phase you want. Some of y'all are cringing because you follow them rules, okay? And uh, Uno, man, it was spicy way before spicy Uno. And, uh, you know, so we do this with board games. And some of y'all do this with, with putting furniture together, okay? And if you do this, you... Has anybody ever got something from Ikea and you look at the instruction manual and you just say, God help them, and you fold it back up and you just go for it? That's me, all right? I recently was putting together this nightstand for Kendra, and uh, this thing is not, it is very poorly built. I'm already mad about the whole situation. I don't read the instruction manual, and how many want to know? I put it together incorrectly. And it was, it was wobbly, and I like to build things. I like to build things well, but anything that uh, can be put together with an Allen wrench, it's not going to last a lifetime. You know what I'm saying? So, um, well, especially if you don't read the instructions, right? And so I didn't read the instructions. I kept telling Kendra, this thing is, this thing's a piece of junk. Like, it's like wobbling. And then the other day, Zane leaned against it, all four legs. It just collapsed, okay? 
Well, we get another one for the other side. We couldn't buy both at the same time, uh, balling on a budget. So we've got the other one weeks later, and, um, and I read the instructions, and how many you want to know, it's standing strong, okay? The legs are all attached, and I had to confess to my wife that I did not read the instructions, and I just winged it. Anybody, just, you just wing it. And here's the thing. That's fun in games when it's about games and when it's about stuff like that, but it's not fun in games when people approach the Word of God that way. It's not fun in games when people approach building the, the church that way or building a marriage that way. Listen, when it comes to staying pure and getting married or staying married or, or building a life on the foundation that we call Jesus Christ and when you're building a church, when, when, you're, when you're starting a life group, when you're, all of these things, listen, it's very important that you trust the instruction manual. It's very important that you just don't wing it. Y'all agree with me? Like, we don't just wing it. We don't just trust how we feel. And the standard of following Jesus has never changed, but sadly, we live in a world that has changed that standard. The standard of Jesus has not changed, but we live in a world that has changed that, that standard, preaching a different gospel, preaching a different message of repentance and salvation and eternal life, and even some people preaching an entirely different book of truth. And either, either they have taken away from the Bible or they're trying to add to it. And I just want to say either way is very dangerous, okay? The Word of God, it's... It's holy, and, and I read some shocking stats. I want to read these to you. 58% of professed Christians, these are people who say they are a Christian, in the U.S., they believe that the Holy Spirit, and some of these statistics may be off a little bit. This was uh, done last year. says that the Holy Spirit is no longer active. It's only symbolic of God's power, meaning over half, potentially over half of the church in the U.S. denies the power of the Holy Spirit. That's, that's a scary statistic. That same 58% believe that you can earn your way to heaven by your good deeds and good works. Less than 50% of professing Christians believe marriage should be between one man and one, one woman. More than 30% of Christians believe that premarital sex is okay in the eyes of God. There is an overwhelming percentage that believes that all religions point to Jesus and that one day we're all going to be in heaven singing Kumbaya together, okay? 34% of Christians find it hard to believe that humans are sinful. This is crazy. And out of 176 million Christians, only 6%, approximately 6% have a biblical world view, meaning they, they view the world through the lens of the Bible and the word, the word of God, and they trust it completely. It's how they build their life. These are crazy statistics. Would y'all agree? This is the world that we live in. Why do I share these? Because people have started building churches without the instruction manual. Because people have started living by house rules instead of the word of God. And I just want to tell you, we don't go by house rules at New Life Church. It's the Word of God. We're not building this thing on any other foundation other than Jesus and the Word of God. Can somebody say amen? amen. It's, it's, this, is, this is God's Word. Listen, if we preach the real truth 100% of the time and we preach 100% of the God-breathed Scripture, I believe that God is glorified and the house of God will be built. And that's what I believe. And the early church, they were purely pursuing the truth of the gospel. There's a lot that can be said about that. 
and a lot we can learn from that today. Picks up in verse 14, nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord. They were added to their number daily. And, and it says, as a result, people brought the sick into the streets and they laid them on beds and mats so that Peter's shadow might fall on them. As he passed by, crowds gathered from all of the towns around Jerusalem. And this was the first time that the gospel had gone out of the walls of Jerusalem. People were coming in, bringing the sick and those tormented by impure spirits and all of them were healed. We don't have time today to go in detail about this. That's for another day. We'll, we'll get there. Um, but this is what you need to know is that people were so desperate to be in the presence of God that they were willing to lay in a man's shadow. A broken man, a sinful man, Peter, who was just a representation of the gospel. He was preaching the word of God. There were people who were just trying to get close to him because they wanted to be close to Jesus. And it says people were getting saved. We don't know if the shadow healed them, but what we know is that God was moving. What we know is that all who were sick were healed. We, we see this happen in the early church. God's moving. And just so you know where we stand as a church, there's three types of healing that we believe in as a church. We believe that there's doctors in medicine, and God gave them the ability to do what they do. We believe there's miraculous healing from God that outside of God, people don't understand how someone was healed, okay? And then number three, we, we believe there's healing on the other side of eternity. We believe as a church that God was a healer and he still is today. Amen. Now, I don't understand, and, I, and this is what I wrestle with, is why some people experience healing different than others. And I, I don't know that I'll understand that on this side of eternity, but this is what we believe. In verse 17, it says, then the high priest and all of his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees, they were filled with what? Jealousy. Anybody ever been jealous before? I've been jealous before. I remember at lunch, I used to get upset when everybody else got to eat hot Cheetos. I didn't get hot Cheetos, you know? <laughs> and then one day, we would get those hot Cheetos, and we would pour nacho cheese on them. Some of y'all are like, that's disgusting. Okay, welcome to Jacksonville High. Um, jealousy and envy will make you do some really foolish things. Jealousy and envy and and selfishness can destroy your calling and can destroy your friendships. And the religious leaders were jealous of the apostles because of the amount of people that were being healed, the amount of people that were following their teaching. Remember, these people did not believe in the resurrection. They, they didn't believe fully in Jesus, and so they were jealous, and they didn't really like the apostles. I, I've learned in life that what you are full of will overflow out of you, Okay. What you are full of will overflow out of you most of the time when you are what? Squeezed. Well, I didn't know where that came from. It was in there somewhere. <laughs> Man, I don't know why I responded that way. It was in there somewhere. So be careful about what you allow in your heart because if you are full of yourself, ultimately you will draw people to yourself. If you are full of the Spirit of God, you will draw people unto the Lord, which is what we want. It's nearly impossible to pursue the will of God when you are staring at somebody else's life. It's nearly impossible to pursue what God has called you to do when you are so fixated on what God has called someone else to do. And I think that we get trapped in this, especially in the church. Verse 18, it says, they arrested the apostles and they put them in the public jail. This was the second trip to jail. But during the night. And this is so funny to me. 
an angel of the Lord appeared and opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. I want you to write this down. It's kind of a tricky thing, but shut doors, locked doors, and no doors are no problem for our God. It may be a shut door, it may be a locked door, or you may be looking at a wall and it seems like there is no way out. Can I tell you, it is not an issue for our God. It is not an issue for God. God is not frightened by what seems to be a shut door or a locked door or no door because if we believe that the word of God is true, where there is no way, he can make a way. And I think somebody needs to hear that today, that you're looking at what seems to be a wall and there's no way around it. There is a way. He's not, amen. He's not intimidated by it. And he sees it as an opportunity. This is an opportunity for God to show out. This is an opportunity for God to show up in your life if you trust in him. But I believe God has a sense of humor. If you read the Bible and you don't think God's got a sense of humor, you may not be reading it right because the Sadducees laughed at and, and kind of scoffed at the idea of angels or anything supernatural. What did God send to rescue these men from prison? An angel. The angel of the Lord came. This is so funny to me. The angel tells the men, go stand in the temple courts. He said, and tell the people all about this new life. What a great name for a church. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts, and as they had been told, they began to teach the people. Listen, Peter and John were not set free and saved so that they could be comfortable outside of the prison walls. It's really important you see this. They weren't set free so that they could be comfy. They were set free to be on mission for God. In the famous words of Paul, who we are about to spend several weeks studying the life of his conversion, Saul to Paul, I can't wait. It's going to be great. He said, if you kill me, awesome. I'll be with God. <laughs> he said, if you let me live, awesome. I'm going to preach the gospel. If you put me in prison, awesome. Prison guards and prisoners will be set free, okay? There was nothing that could come against him because he knew this is what God has called me to do. He said, to live is Christ, to die is gain. What an incredible perspective to have. They were rescued by God to be used by God. I want you to write that down. We are rescued by God to be used by God. You were not rescued by God just to be comfy. You were not pulled out of the dominion of darkness just to live a casual lifestyle. No, you were rescued by God to be used by God. He says, go stand where they said not to step foot. Go say what they told you not to say. Go do what they warned you not to do. Go share the gospel in the middle of the city. And these men, they said, we'll, we'll do whatever, whenever, to whoever, as long as it's what God wants us to do. And I just want to let you know, and I'm not trying to be a Debbie Downer today, but obedience in the early church led to death. For many of them, obedience led to death. Matthew was beheaded. Mark died. He was drugged through the streets. Luke hung on an olive tree. John died, and then they boiled him in oil. Peter crucified upside down. James beheaded. The other James, he was thrown from a roof and then beaten to death. Thomas killed by a spear. Jude was killed by arrows. Matthias was stoned and beheaded. Not stoned like he was high, but he was beat to death. Barnabas was stoned and beheaded. Barnab or Andrew, listen, he was crucified. And as he's saying his last words, he's preaching the gospel as he died. Who wants to follow Jesus today, you know? These men, there was, there was a consequence for their faith. There was something they had to lay down. And what can we learn from this today? These men were willing to lay down their life and die. 
I think we should be willing to lay down our pride and die to ourselves. Because in America, we are not really facing persecution like the early church. There's, there's opposition, but I don't know of many people who are being put to death for their faith and where we live. Now, across the world, there's people dying as we speak. So what do we do? And I want to ask you this question today, and this, I really want you to make it personal for you. What is God asking you to do that's going to cost you something? What is God asking you to do that seems very difficult? I, seriously, I want you to evaluate this. What is God calling you to do? And I want you to consider that today, and I want you to take a step of obedience this week. This is your practical step. This week, I want you to actively pursue something that will cost you something for the sake of the gospel. That may be your comfort. That may be sharing your faith with somebody or, or whatever it may be. I want you to be bold and I want you to have courage and I want you to take a step this week. Can we do that, church? So in junior high, we used to play this really silly game. It was called two for flinching. Has anybody ever played that? We'd walk up to each other. It's really silly now that I think about it, but we'd walk up and act like we were going to hit somebody. And if they flinched, what happened? You hit them twice in their arm, okay? I would have bruised arms because I just walk, I walk around flinching. I'm easy to be scared. And uh, so we would do this and walk up. They act like they're going to hit you. If you flinched, then you would get punched in your arm twice. What a weird game to play. But the goal of that game is that when someone moves towards you, you don't flinch. And this is my prayer as a church, is that when God speaks, you don't flinch. Like when God tells you to do something, you don't flinch. It's like, oh yeah, I expected this. The Lord speaks, I move on his behalf. When, when God asks me to do something, I don't flinch. I just act in faith. I expect it. These men, they're standing in the temple court, they're preaching the gospel, and they did not flinch. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and they sent to the jail for the apostles. This is when the story gets crazy. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. And so they went back and they reported, we found the jail securely locked, locked doors, with the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. And on hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were at a loss, wondering what this might lead to. How many of y'all know what it led to? You're sitting in it today. It's called the church. It, it led to what we are a part of today, the, the growing of the church and the spreading of the gospel. This is maybe my favorite part of the book of Acts so far. You want to know why? Because there was such a move of God that the enemy was at a loss for words. There was such a move of God, it was so apparent, something supernatural is at work, that the enemy literally did not know what to do next. The doors were shut, the guards were in place, but the apostles were nowhere to be found. And at this point, things are getting crazy. Verse 25 then someone came and said, look, the men that you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. And at that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force. I want you to underline this. They did not use force because they feared that people would stone them. The tables have turned. The church was moving at such a high speed and force that they were now being publicly respected but privately rejected. They were publicly respected, but they took them away in private to try to teach them a lesson. They were persecuted, and they were beaten in private. The religious leaders, they, they feared them. 
They didn't say that they feared them, but there was, a, there was something about the way they'd gone about the situation that was just, it just seemed odd to me. They began to persecute them. Verse 27, the apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders. This is like the third time they've heard this now. I'm sure that Peter and John, they're like laughing, elbowing each other, like, they're doing it again, you know? We told you not to teach in this name. And yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. And you're determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey who? God rather than human beings. Check this out. This is, they, they literally share the gospel with the religious leaders in this next part. Verse 30, that they say, the, the God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead. Whom you killed by hanging him on a cross, God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might bring Israel to repentance for the, for, to forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Do y'all remember a few weeks ago we talked about that the apostles prayed for more boldness? Do y'all remember that? We said, man, God did a lot with a little bit of boldness. Now they're praying for a lot of boldness, more boldness. This is the fruit of that prayer. They're standing before the Sanhedrin. Every religious leader, every uh, potential opposition is right before them. They share the gospel with boldness. They had no flinch. They weren't concerned what anyone thought about them. They preached the gospel to the enemy in the face of opposition. Peter says, y'all killed Jesus. (laughs) This is crazy. Y'all crucified him. He raised from from the grave. And now it is our responsibility to respond to this message with repentance for our sin. He's looking at the religious leaders and he says, not only did we witness this, but God did too. Verse 33, when they heard this, they were furious And they wanted to put the apostles to death. This was the beginning of a target on the back of the apostles. Because up to this point in chapter 5, people disliked Jesus. They just didn't know where he went. (laughs) They didn't believe in the resurrection, but the church knew that he had resurrected. He was with his father in heaven. And the apostles now have a target on their back, and people are making death threats against them. I I want you to hear this. If your response to the world does not upset the enemy, you may need to reconsider your response. I'm going to say it again. If your response to the world does not upset the enemy or the world, you may need to reconsider your response. If your response to the world is of the world, you are causing no impact in the kingdom of God. But when you go against the world and you submit to the word of God, which is not sexy in culture today... That is when God begins to move on our behalf. There's a reason today when you stand for the truth of God's word that you're going to be faced with opposition. And as Christians, we know that we do not conform to what? The patterns of this world. We confront the patterns of this world with the word of God. And we can do it in such a way where we disagree and we still love the people. Y'all tracking with me? The church and... Christians have got a really bad rap of preaching against sin and not loving the sinner in the process. We believe you can do both, that you can love the sinner and still preach against sin. That you can can despise sin, but you can still embrace the sinner. Are y'all with me? 
That's why we are all here, because someone embraced you and loved you enough to say, hey, that is not honoring God. There's another way to live. There's another way to go. The apostles confronted these men with the truth of the gospel, with no flinch, with, with no compromise. And this next part is the promise that I told you about. Verse 34, it says, this is, it's, this is so crazy. A Pharisee, a, a religious person, tells the promise. Don't miss this. A Pharisee named Gamaliel, I think that's how you say his name, a teacher of the law, who was honored by all of the people, he stood up in the Sanhedrin, right there in front of all of them. And he ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. So, so Peter and John were in timeout. They were out in the corner, okay? Gamaliel, just so you know who he is, it's important you know who he is. He is the grandson, I believe, of the guy who started like the school of how to be a religious person, okay? <laughs> Which was not a good thing. I just want to let you know. He founded the school that developed all of the religious people. Gamaliel's title was, was greater than rab and rabbi. He was not just a teacher. He taught the teachers that taught the teachers. Are y'all tracking with me? This guy was highly esteemed, and so when he spoke, people listened to him. So they put Peter and John outside, and then Gamaliel addressed the Sanhedrin. He said, men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do with these men. Because some time ago, uh, old, old the Theodos, whatever his name is, appeared, and, and he claimed to be somebody, and about 400 men, they rallied to him, and he was killed. And what happened? All of his, his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. Uh, he, he was a leader of a rebellion. He was a false form of a Messiah, and he was killed, and his following shrunk to nothing. There was another man that came, and after him, a guy named Judas, he came, and he was a Galilean, and he appeared in the days of the census, and he led a band of people in revolt, and he too was killed. And all of his followers were scattered, and y'all, Judas was a leader of revolt. He was also another false messiah, a form of a false messiah. He was killed, and what happened to all the people who followed him? It shrunk, and it grew to what? Nothing. And then the true Messiah comes along. His name is Jesus Christ. We, we know him kind of, right? Like he comes and he dies for the sins of humanity. And when he was put to death on a cross, what happened to his following? It grew. Interesting. It grew because he is the true Messiah. Because what was spoke about him in the Old Testament is true still to this day. The things that were prophesied and spoken to existence about this guy that would come and take on the sin of humanity and hang on a cross and die for me and die for you, that when he did that, he would resurrect from the grave. And when we put faith in that, we inherit eternal life, that we would become followers of the way of Jesus. And when we put faith in Jesus, it's not that life is all purdy. <laughs> it's not that life is perfect. It's that your life now has purpose. This is the difference. There's people who have come that claim to be the Messiah and they were not. Jesus was telling people, hey, don't tell people who I am yet because my time hasn't come. And so people would get healed. You read about this in the New Testament. They would get healed and then what would he would say? Don't tell anyone what happened. And, and then the guy that got healed would run and what would they do? They would tell everybody. <laughs> so why in the world... If people who get healed that are told not to tell anybody tell people, why in the world do we live in a world today 
When Jesus says, hey, scream my name from the rooftop and we stay quiet. Hey, live a life of purpose, but we're so timid and we stay in our comfort zone that we're afraid to step out in faith and really be bold for the things of God. Man, I I believe the gospel. I believe the word of God. It says, therefore, in the present case, I advise you, this is what he tells one religious man to all the rest of the religious leaders. You better leave these men alone. (laughs) You better let them go. Because if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will what? Fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to stop these men. And we know that that is a true statement. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. Here it is. This is the promise. If your plan and your purpose in your life, this is for every person here. This isn't for your friend. This is for you. If your plan... And your purpose in your life came from you, it will fail. But if it is from God, no one will be able to stop you. Because even if you die, I'm going to be with God in heaven. Even if opposition comes against me to this earth right here, it's okay because I'm going to preach the gospel anyways. If I get put in prison, I'm still going to share the God. I believe in our lifetime right here in the world we live in, in the U.S., there will be a time when you claim the word of God, it will be considered hate speech. We're getting close. So what are we going to do as the body of Christ? I think we should stand firm in the truth of God's word. I think we should love people so much it makes them hurt. And I think you should serve every person that you disagree with in Jesus' name. You want to know how to make a difference? That's the blueprint. That's it right there. You can change the world if you can do that. How can you tell if something is from God? Last night I got home. I told Kendra, I was like, I don't like the message. <laughs> I was like, it's not, it's not good, you know, and I just said, I just don't, I'm not super confident about it. And so I started doing drywall work on the house because that's what I do when I relieve stress. I hate drywall work. And so I'm just taking anger out on drywall and I was redoing our fireplace and all this stuff. And And I was processing the message with her, and I said, what would you change? And she said, don't change a thing. You just need to let people know how to know if something is from God. Would you all agree that sometimes it's really hard to know if this is from God or if I just have indigestion from Taco Bell the night before? Like, sometimes it's really hard to know, is this the Lord or is this me? Listen, if it lines up with the Word of God, I'm going to give you a filter. If it lines up with the Word of God, if you receive it through prayer, If your mentors line up with it, listen, if you don't have people who speak into your life, change that today. Godly counsel, plans fail due to a lack of it. Do your mentors line up with it? Do you have supernatural peace that that comes from God to go for it? And then it sounds like this. Everybody says it can't be done. There's no way. You've never gone this way before. You're not qualified. You don't have what it takes. You're scared. You're overwhelmed. You're not prepared. There's not enough resources available. There's not enough money. There's not enough people to help with it. It makes no rational sense. Seriously, who in their right mind would do that? That sounds like a God dream to me. That's what my mom told me when I surrendered to the ministry. (laughs) And now she's following the Lord. What is God asking you to do? We see in Acts 5, we see from Acts 1 to Acts 5, people with great boldness that are not afraid of the approval of man. They don't, they don't fear man, they, they fear God. 
And they said, I want to live my life on purpose with a purpose. Listen, if you can accomplish it by yourself in your own strength, it is not a God-sized dream. If you can accomplish it in your own strength, listen, usually when God breathes something, it's kind of crazy. So some of y'all already know what that thing is. You've got it tucked in your head. Would you be bold enough and take a step towards it this week? Starting today. These apostles, they knew what they were called to do. What is God calling you to do? Hear me out. If God is leading you to do something, he will give you what it takes to accomplish it. And then when it's accomplished, do you know who gets the glory? He does. This is what God's doing. I, I just believe I wanna, I wanna leave you with a charge today. And I told Kendra last night, so I'm caking this drywall, mud on the wall. And I just said, I feel like there's some people that are gonna be at church that it's almost like they need to be unlocked to pursue what God's calling them to pursue. Today, I, I truly believe that you've been staring at a shut door or a locked door or a wall where there is no door, but with my God, there is a way. And someone needs to hear that today. I don't know who you are, but you need to hear it. Put faith in Jesus. Be bold. Have courage. Do not fear. Put faith in God and take a step of obedience because here's the reality, and then I'm going to pray, is if it is of man, it will what? Fail. I came to really encourage you today. But if it is of God, it will prevail.